What's in the box? What's in the suitcase? What's in the box? Deep shots. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Deep Shots. Wade, how are you today? Doing good, man. How are you? Yeah, I am uh, doing very well, thank you. Things are uh, really good at home, and we had taco night on Monday, so the world is a crazy place. White person's taco night? Yeah. I don't know what that means. (laughs) What does that mean? Uh, I think it, uh, my my guy Bo Burnham had a song. I believe it was you know White Person's Taco Night, and you know went through all the things where you had like the they take the iceberg lettuce and you cut it up, and you have I the tomatoes and ground that. beef. Yes, I don't understand. Yeah, that's white person. How do you do it? Is there a different way? Have you ever been to a taqueria, and does it look like the tacos that you made? I don't. I guess. I guess I normally get fajitas so i'm sorry i don't know <laughs> yeah I, the is way it different I, yeah. tell so, me how different it is is it really that different yeah it is God. yeah there's usually not cheese on tacos there there's not sour cream on tacos in, in a taqueria you know in in the in the well of course there's no just sour cream everybody s- knows you put bison dip on a taco duh oh. duh <laughs> Hey, so I got some feedback from our last podcast, our Oscars from podcast. From who? The, and, from me? <laughs> the only other person that <laughs> listens? No. Uh, basically, the person said, hey, I thought you guys used to talk a little bit more about your personal lives. You need to do a little bit more of that. So, <laughs> Wow, our personal lives. Oh, man. Uh, so, well, and then also you mentioned fuck cancer. So I, I I'd like to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about your your cancer if if you'd like to you know we can edit it out if you don't want <laughs> An to opportunity but. to oh man yeah so I um last year I had I found well two years ago I uh, went for a firefighter physical and the doctor palpated my neck and there was a growth and I ran to the doctor and they said yeah this is something. At first, they thought it was like nothing. Then they thought it was something. Then nothing. Then something. Then nothing. And I went to the surgeon, and they said, "Yes, we gotta get this out because it's growing super fast." And it was growing super fast, and they took it out. And that's when you find out it's cancer when they rip out your thyroid. I'm sorry, I don't know if I mentioned that. I wasn't ready to talk about this. (laughs) (laughs) So I had thyroid cancer, and uh, lucky me, I have the thyroid cancer that tends to spread around, and so. Found out that it did move into another part of my body this year, but luckily it's the thyroid cancer, which is actually super easy to treat. They take radioactive iodine, and I take a pill of it, and it zaps all, because your thyroid is your primary organ that deals with iodine absorption and taking care of the iodine in your body. They give you a radioactive dose of it. I'm out of commission. I can't be around anybody for couple of days up to a couple weeks and yeah so I become radioactive man for a couple of days and I'll be the first one to admit that when you get cancer you go through some mental shit and I probably went through some mental shit so yeah fun cancer I would say in general don't don't get it like I would say as a rule you know don't don't fuck with it don't don't get cancer I won't be uh 
picking it up anytime soon. I'll, at least I'll try not to. In perspective, though, like my type of cancer is nothing compared to what my friend in Michigan's going through. She has brain cancer, and mm. it's it's tough. And I love her, and I hope she's doing well. And and you know, there's different degrees of cancer, and mine is relatively. It's like the cancer lottery, really. I mean, other than it spreads around a little bit, it's not too bad. So, is thyroid cancer lymphoma? Is it related to lymphoma? Is it because you heard Hodgkin's, non-Hodgkin's? It's it's not related to that. No, something totally different. Totally different. There's four different types of of thyroid cancer that I know of, and I am not a doctor. I I want to make a disclaimer that I don't fully know all of the types of cancers. But there's different degrees to severity, and mine just happens to be the worst type of thyroid cancer, which on a whole isn't that bad. There's enough science out there to to tackle it pretty well. But, yeah, it's cancer. So I got nice surgery, and I get some treatments every once in a while. So you've had one of these treatments? I had a treatment last year where I took the iodine, got a scan, then I took the iodine again and I had to be away from people for about two weeks solid from the first time you take it all the way to your second dose. You, I'm, I disappear for about two weeks. Can't be around anybody. And, and do you have a second treatment scheduled? I do. It's in June. So I have a little bit of it. A little bit. Looks like it came back. Um, so I have to get another zip zap. So hopefully now it'll clear it out. But honestly, this could be for the next 30 or 40 years or through my lifespan. It could be constantly coming back and I constantly will be taking this, hmm. this iodine. So other folks I know have had their thyroid can- thyroid removed with thyroid cancer and it's never come back. You know, it's never it's just the other types of cancer. I just have the one that hmm. luckily likes to stay with me. Hmm. So, yeah, fun times. I'm not sure that was the intent of somebody. I thought I would think that they would like the cute little stories where, like, we had the debate around what clothes are put on first. Like, your underwear, your socks, then your shirt, your pants. Not so much well, we the life-changing surgery stuff. <laughs> well, it was it was actually a twofold comment. You know, it was like, one, you guys need to do your personal life more. And two, Slavic has cancer. So, I mean, they kind of intertwine. Oh, so. yeah. Anyway. So. it's I don't like talking about it. So it is surprising that I just did what I did. I, it's not a big, I don't, I mean, I talk to you about it because I love you and you're, you're a very close brother of mine. So I don't particularly <laughs> like talking about it. Well, and that's why I gave you the disclaimer up front that, you didn't want to talk about it. You didn't have to, but I appreciate it. I think it's good to talk about. Yeah, good so to get the feelings out about it. Let's talk about your health issue. How are those hemorrhoids doing? Are they finally getting taken <laughs> care of? Huh? Is the G-string still rubbing on them? How, how's that coming along? Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, I thought yeah, we were doing full disclosure, issue. Wade. Full disclosure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We'll move on. No, I do not have uh, issues with hemorrhoids at the moment, <laughs> and we'll move on. All right. Um so tonight, kind of a hodgepodge episode. We want to talk about a couple things uh, following on to our Oscar show that we recorded uh, several weeks ago. We haven't got back to this, but one of the things we talked about was the movie Babylon. Uh, we also saw some other movies and we're watching some other shows. But the first thing we need to discuss tonight is the best show on television. Seinfeld. And that's Succession. Oh, oh yes. 
Succession. Yes. Succession. So Succession. Uh, if you if you don't know by now, is a you know show on HBO, HBO Max, or just Max now that it's going to be changing. It's changing. I didn't know that. They're changing to just Max. <laughs> They've uh, combined the Discovery and HBO feeds or whatever. Mm. Anyway. You know, chronicles the the stories of the the Roy family going through uh, finding out who's going to succeed the the head of the family, Logan Roy. But we're gonna get into heavy spoiler territory here. But it's a it's a great show in where they are now in their fourth and final season, and the man they are going out with a bang. So let's just get into the spoilers. So from now on, we're yeah, gonna yeah. spoil it. So the big thing <laughs> that happened. Episode one, episode two was kind of the same, like what the the kids against Logan, mm-hmm. and then in the third episode he managed to play this great game to get Roman back into his fold and kind of turn the tables a little bit, and then on a plane he fucking croaked, he died, right? So like dies, he dies, like like mid mid strategy dies. to take over the world, <laughs> he just boom dies. And then um, it was incredible the way they did this. Uh, and they, you know, they set us up for it in that. Obviously, in the first season, he has a stroke. Yeah. Every every season, he has some form of ailment. And y- you think, oh, man, the, you know, this is not good. And he would bounce back from it. So I was just so shocked they're they're at Connor's wedding and Roman Roman gets the phone call because Shiv turns down Tom's phone call several times and he's like your dad's sick and you're like oh okay yeah he's he's sick but then like right like within the next 30 seconds he's like um they're doing chest compressions and you're like right. whoa right and I mean it was just shocking the the whole turn of events but I thought it was so well done yeah. So well done. I, I'll make this comment. You mentioned that in the other seasons that he did have an ailment. But in those other seasons, you kind of knew he was going to bounce back. Because there was a fourth season. So you knew that despite him not feeling well, despite reaction from everybody, you knew he was going to somewhat bounce back. I think the cool well, thing that they did in this, in the fourth season, was that it was... he's being himself through the first three three episodes and then bam he's gone like that's yeah. the best i mean not I, I mean i don't wish anybody to die <laughs> but as far as creative storytelling the way it ended really kind of i mean i thought it was excellent there's so and there's so many like little morsels of things that have to be figured out or ironed out between all of the players which i think mm-hmm. is you know, to cut it off the way they did, to cut off Logan's life, really kind of, it's like they threw everything into the sharks. So now the sharks have yeah. to figure out who's going to devour who. Uh, I don't know. I thought that part. So my my ultimate point was that the first three seasons, I didn't feel that threatened by him getting sick. It was the fourth season where you knew, and the way they handled it was the right way to handle it. Well, and again, maybe I read too much or listen to too many other podcasts, but the original plan for this show was that Logan was going to die in season one. Then, you know, the show was going to be about the succession of Logan. And 
they decided they were having too much fun with Brian Cox in this point and the fuck offs. And, you know, they, they thought that there was a lot here to uh, chew on. And obviously there was, you know, to show how Brian Cox or Logan's character has affected these kids throughout their lives and, and the trauma and PTSD, uh, you know, almost that he's put them through. Well, I'm so glad you said what you said, because the first step is to admit you have a problem. And I've been meaning to talk to you about this reading <laughs> habit that you have. And I think we're ready to make the intervention right here, right now on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, re- I read way too much. You're, you're no. such an asshole uh, for reading so much. To me, when he got sick in other seasons, it was like, well, you know, at some point, this guy has to die. And they've never, up until right before the season started, they'd never announced how many seasons they were going. So obviously, at some point during this season, I figured he would pass or or at least step down, what have you. But the way they did this was just so real and so sudden, but... Then they took that next like 30 minutes of the show kind of in real time as to like these kids are reacting to their dad dying over the phone on a plane. And it, I mean, it felt, it just felt very real to me. And I've got my own personal reasons why it felt real to me because I've, I've experienced some of these types of scenarios, not a billionaire father, but. You know, my father did code on a plane once before we found out he had cancer. You know, my father died when I was across the country and couldn't get to him. So, uh, you know, these are real scenarios that that I've dealt with that. uh, But at the same time, I can imagine that even even if I hadn't dealt with that, that it was just very real the way it played out to me and was very poignant. And I was like. Uh, again, the magic of this show is that these horrible people who have no spines that you that they make you feel for them. I mean, uh, at least for me, you know, the, Kendall is a dipshit, and and Logan is very crass and probably has the most heart in him, and and Shiv is just a dummy, and and yet. I felt for all three of them and the way that they showed them reacting to their father passing was very poignant and, and resonated with me. I, I mean, I just, I don't know how else to say it. Well, everybody, but Connor, <laughs> Connor was well, like, ah, he never liked me. I'm going to go get married. Yeah. But even that was heartbreaking, man. I mean, it was just like, yeah. uh, you know, he's like, I never got the chance to make him proud. I mean, Damn. No. Like the the writing for all of them was was insane, and what impressed me more than just the reactions of the kids and how different the kids were was they gave almost every person in the cast a moment. You know, some of them were had were filled with more levity, but the way Tom handled it, yeah, yeah. Way, so let's so I that I yeah. wanted to talk about how Tom became kind of the death MC, right? He was like, yeah. And I thought that was you. You know, you're talking about the kids' reaction, but his reaction to kind of stay in the moment and stay cool and calm, and yeah. like have the wherewithal because a lot of people panic in these situations. They don't mm-hmm. want to be next to a dead guy, and he's sitting there with his cell phone, telling these kids like, "This is it. Like, you have to tell him what your last words are." He says something like, "If he can hear you, he he can hear you." Yeah, like. Uh, you know, it, it's, it, you know, he doesn't say if he's alive, he can hear you. He, he says something like, 
very odd but it, you know i knew what he meant like it, if he really can hear he can he'll be able to hear you right and that was just you know and he's just and tom is so calm and like midwestern nice about it all it's and very loving to shiv who's basically just ripped his heart out and told him she wants a divorce an episode earlier right maybe it was two episodes earlier but you know and he's he's just calling her honey and and it's just it was tough man so just tough to watch his reactions when they're spiteful or or really kind of throw a dagger at him he kind of goes um i deserve that or i i had to do you know i get it let's just move on and I don't know that Tom's performance. I'm sorry, Matthew McFadden's performance as Tom mm-hmm. in that situation was was really. That's what I remember most from the episode. That, and ironically enough, I mean I don't know if it's an irony, but when um, Roman is the only one willing to go see his father after he's died, for some reason that really resonated with me. That the other two are like, yeah, no, I don't want anything to do with it. But Roman has the, I mean, I would call balls to go see his dead father and kind of verify. But, of course, he was the denier for pretty much the entire, like, well, let's make sure. Let's make sure. Let's, yeah. let's make sure. Which I thought, I don't know, was kind of fitting at the end that he went and made sure. Like, I'm going to go make sure that my, my dad is actually dead. Well, he definitely, of the four kids, is the one, well, obviously he was the closest one to him at the end but is also the one that was definitely like seeking his father's love throughout the show. Like it was Kendall was seeking approval and confidence, but definitely didn't it, Roman was the one that was more needy for love uh, though. I want to go back to Tom real quick um, because again, yeah, he was very calm and like I said, Midwestern nice to them. But then I thought it was very interesting that once he, he got a little privacy, he called Greg his confidant. And, you know, had a moment where he's like, you know, that, that was traumatic. Yeah. That was traumatic. And and I'm fucked now. My protector is dead. And then he takes a shot. You know, he does what he always does in those moments. He takes a shot at Greg, you know, like, because that's what makes him happy. The way that also, you know, similarly, the way Shiv always pounds down on Tom. Yep. Greg's uh, Tom's got to pound down on somebody. I thought that was very interesting. The other reaction that really got me was when Kendall is telling Frank, tell, I want to talk to the pilot, turn the plane around and get him there. And the way Frank is so calm with him, he's like, I can't, they're flying the plane, son. I can't help you. Or I can't have you talk to the pilots right now. And then he, they they kind of pan out and he kind of hits the wall. This is his godfather. Yeah, yeah. Just even though they've been through all this, he's he's definitely the one who seems to be the closest to Kendall and he's known Logan for 40 years and he's just stunned, but he, there's just nothing they can do. And that was the other thing that just hit me in that moment. Like the amount, no matter the amount of money you're on private jets, all this in that moment, there's nothing you can do. Like they're, they're they were, he's, he's saying, I want the best, the best airline medical experts. And I want da 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 on the phone right now. And, and they're powerless. Just, it was very poignant. And, you know, the point was definitely made to me. So which kid handled it the best? Which, out of your, in your mind, right, they all handled it their own way. But which one, I don't know if there's necessarily a best, but maybe the most poignant or the way, 
it resonated the most. I like I said, I think Connor's reaction definitely gutted me the most. But the other thing that really struck me was the way that Roman was kind of like sitting on the ground, like kind of like a little boy. You know, it just kind of like reverted him back to that time in his life. And I, I mean, all of them were were unique, but I think Connor gutted me the most. But the, the other thing that I thought was really interesting was Kendall saying, like, he's like, I love you, but I can't forgive you. You know, that was those were kind of his last words to his father, which I thought was interesting. I don't know. You know, I don't know if that's right or wrong, but I thought was very interesting to see. I thought Kendall showed some real leadership like with Mm -hmm. with shiv and with roman he's able to kind of bring a little bit of calmness he like the the other two are kind of off the off the wall right like one Mm -hmm. of the suggestions from roman is well maybe he's not dead we got to make sure when he gets to the ground we verify that he's dead and then shiv has this moment where maybe we should have the plane circle around and make sure and then Kendall's like, wait a minute, guys, let's let's take a deep breath here. The things that we do here are going to be remembered forever. So let's take a step back. And But the interesting thing was, is as soon as he got alone was when he had that conversation with Frank. Get those, let me talk to the pilot. And yeah, but when he was with the with the family, I thought he really was the one that was kind of the beacon of light, like the like he's the one. Yeah, there was still some self-importance. Oh, yeah. That. No, no argument. He was like, this will go down in the archives yeah. of what we did. You know, it's like, okay, maybe the Roy family archives, but. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what did you think of maybe the uh, other participants on the plane, like Carl Mueller and kind of, while the guy's <laughs> still warm, how are we going to create a plan? Like, how are we going to talk about this? That was really interesting, like, kind of the, the, the immediate I, I guess I would call it shuffle of power. Carolina is there trying to put together what the statement is going to be. And yeah, Carl and Jerry and Frank are all kind of posturing. Well, Jerry's not um, there. Jerry's still at the party. Jerry's on the plane. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're right. I'm sorry. Because that's another Carl, dynamic that's kind of interesting because of the setup yeah. with uh, Roman. And uh, yeah. Jerry's like, well, fuck that. I'm just going to come in and pretend like it never happened. Yeah. But Carl, kind of talking a series on a whole now, Carl is the star of the season to me. This dude, that dude has one, at least one scene every episode that just kills me. I mean, that guy is, he deserves, you know, I, I don't know if he'll get a supporting actor nod or, or I doubt it, but that dude deserves, you know, some some form of acknowledgement for, for this season because not only does in, like, Logan's not even cold yet and he's like, let's have a drink for the old man. And you know, they're, but then he's also in the next episode talking about, he's half in on a Greek Island with his brother. And he, you know, they just wants out of, of the company and wants to buy out. And in the fifth episode, which you haven't watched yet, there's, there's even more shit. That's just, that guy is just killing it this season. I love it. Yeah. But I, yeah, it was very interesting. This, this whole kind of posturing thing. And then when the kid, then the kids want to write the statement and seek the statement and the, the, you know, these, Again, they've been kind of termed the graybeards, you know, this this group of folks that have hung on to Logan and kind of upwardly failed their whole lives. They say, you know, we need, we think it's really important that our name's on the statement, too. Yeah, right. Tom also has that moment where he's like, 
when he's telling Greg, you know, he's telling things to Greg for Greg to leak to the press. Make sure they know that I was with him. Right. Because he wants to be close to power. Do you think this is a good representation of, like, I don't know, Rockefellers or the Walmarts or or any of the uh, big privately held, maybe even the Fords, the publicly held, you know, is this representative of how these families operate? Well, I think they've definitely cherry picked some details from not even not those big families, but the Murdochs, the Redstones, these families that own media corporations. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of a lot of Rupert Murdoch and Logan Roy and and Sumner Redstone, the failed children. Uh, you know, the Dolans is another one. So I I think you know again I don't know about the Rockefellers and the Fords or what have you, but I these more recent media corporation type families I think they they're definitely pulling from a lot. Yeah, even so, so much as Rupert Murdoch recently had a not a divorce agreement but a separation agreement from a, a woman that he was engaged to, and one of the terms of the separation agreement was that she could not talk to the producers of Succession. <laughs> really. Oh man, that is crazy! <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty interesting. And uh, moving forward, I, if they land this plane, grand scheme, I think it's, I think it's a top three show for me all time. Mm, in, in you know, it's just four seasons. But and your other ones being Better Call Saul. That what's that? Uh, greatest American Hero, right? <laughs> no it's breaking bad everybody knows breaking bad is at the top yeah there's i we, we should do an episode we did our top 10 movies we should do a we should do a top 10 tv shows i i need to sit down and think about that <laughs> yeah I, I i can we can do yours right now west wing yes. band of brothers yes yes yes, <laughs> yes. All right. Well, so I think we've ki- we've got through Succession, right? So if you haven't started seeing it, I think I got some people watching it because they didn't know about it, which is kind of weird because I think I see when it when, actually when we were in Spain, I saw advertising for Succession at like bus stops and stuff like that. So it's definitely worldwide. It's a worldwide phenomenon. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. The next movie. Now we're going away from shows. We're going to a movie, Babylon which was a little bit of a sleeper, right? I mean, Wade, why don't you jump into Babylon? Well, Babylon was interesting because, you know, it was a Ballyhooed production. You know, there was a lot of interest in it. And when it dropped, it got some pretty terrible reviews. I was just trying to pull up its, like, Rotten Tomatoes score. It's not good. Really? It's got a 56% rating on uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, 50, basically means that 56% of the reviews are favorable, which is higher than I thought it was. But to me, I mean, it's an incredible movie. The, the movie is about... Going from s- no sound to sound in movies. Basically, the transition, 19, late 1920s, early 1930s Hollywood, transitioning from silent movies to talkies. And the kind of struggles that they went through and it's also just a very frenetic movie even though it's at three hours i mean you can't i i when i've watched it the couple of times that i've watched it i i don't look at my watch man i i don't realize i've been sitting there for two and a half hours near the end really engaging but also is the, like ambulance it's another movie that makes me feel like i'm, I'm doing cocaine when i'm when I'm watching it, it's very, you know, there's a lot of cocaine taking in the movie or ingesting in this movie. But the, also just the the filmmaking here is so 
so well done, so incredible. I just can't get over it. Now I have my my boy David, who we, we mentioned last podcast, hates movies about making movies, hates movies about Hollywood. You know, thinks they're always up their own ass, and they are. But this movie is worth it. I I just I I don't disagree with him, but I this movie's worth it and it's worth seeing. Yeah, so I think it definitely has a crazy heartbeat, especially that opening scene. If you like elephants, you might not like them so much after that first scene. <laughs> but that's really what the movie is about. That kind of Hollywood, in the end, that's what I took for. Hollywood is kind of this kind of awful place where it feels like an elephant is always shitting on your head. But the movies that come out of it are worth fighting for. And I, I think that's kind of the, the log line of, uh, of the movie. Well, I think the argument in the movie is that it's legitimate art right that you have to have this mess of bullshit and craziness and and technology and innovation but at the end from that comes art and it's the our modern time highest form of art right and that i think mm-hmm. that's what the movie's starting to sell there's some shortcomings to the movie in that it presents itself that there's four main characters Whereas three of them really kind of take over and they really yeah. leave one of them behind the, the guy that's Sidney Palmer in the, in the movie. Yeah. It's just not balanced super well. Yeah. Giovanna Depo is the, uh, the actor there. Yeah. He definitely got the short shift. And there's things that if you're not in Hollywood, I didn't, I don't think they explain super well. So there's this, Big party, the producers, my man Flea is in it, he's partying, it's a great time. And then they cut to like the work, like this is where they're filming this movie. But there, it's like outside, there's all these different scenes, there's all these different scenarios, and none of them really tied anything. And if you don't really pay attention to what's going on, you might get really lost. Because in one scene, they're at a bar, and Margot Robbie's character is getting touch he's got dance and then in another scene it's it's a big battle like caesar and it's it's kind of chaotic and you don't really know what's going Very chaotic on. and then the movie kind of takes a step down it tones down a little bit there's one scene that i know you're dying to talk about mm-hmm. which i loved it right i thought it was incredible they're coming into sound and they're trying to iron out you know at this time it's not like anybody can do a podcast it takes some effort and some engineering to get sound mm-hmm. right in a movie and i don't know if this is true but th- what detracted t- from me and i it started out as comic relief was this guy's in this camera room it's a separate booth inside the studio that films the scene he's got to be in his own separate booth because they don't want they can't have the camera noise coming through the microphones exactly, so he's right. he's in a, like a soundproof a hot box and he overheats yeah. and he dies and i thought for as perfect as that scene was to have the guy die in the end just seemed kind of silly because it, it was over the top it was very slapstick the entire scene right it's very slapstick but then to have it at the end the way i'm incredible scene margot robbie does an amazing job but yeah it it's a tragic story tragic story i thought it was great to see how Hollywood grew in such a short period of time, literally in that first scene that you were talking about where they're taking the elephant to the party to this mansion up on a hill. There's nothing else there. And that's supposed to be Bel Air, California, where if you go to Bel Air right now, there's fucking houses, you know, everywhere. And 
The same thing with the movie set. They're out in the middle of the fucking desert filming the all these different movies. And that's the studio lot. That's supposed to be like the MGM lot, yeah. which again, later on they they build these sound stages and they're and they're filming these talkies. Right. But that's what they that's where the it came from. And I, I just it was so incredible to see them portray that and in, in the again how chaotic it was and, and then on top of that Diego Calva Manny Torres uh the the character Manny Torres is is also doing his own he's on his own mission to go get this camera because the director of Brad Pitt's film the the camera is broke or got trampled or yeah. can't remember what yeah. happened there and so they needed to get another camera so on top of the chaoticness of the battle scene going on in Brad Pitt's movie and then Margot Robbie getting thrown into this to this other thing, you know. He, there's a fire at the in the lot, and it's just insanity. Yes. But the scene that you were mentioning is, I, I think I talked about it a little bit in, I, I alluded to it in our Oscar podcast. It's the scene of the year in any movie I've seen where they're again the first time they're trying to film a movie with sound, and it's a simple. They're trying to film a 30 second scene where Margot Robbie's character comes in, hits her mark, says. Hello, college. And everything that can go wrong goes wrong. Someone opens a door, the lights go off, you know, there's the she doesn't hit her marks, all these different things. And it it's just repetitive and it's so well done. And it obviously drives the point home that this shit was not easy for them. Yeah. That this is the literal sweat of the blood, sweat, and tears. And though there was probably some tears in the theme, these folks built this industry on. From a, someone who loves movies, if you love movies, I don't see how you can't love this movie, because it's that it's literally what it's about. You know what we do matters. And Brad Pitt has that speech to one of his ex-wives or soon-to-be ex-wives in that movie. You know she's feels like she has kind of the upper hand in the relationship because she's a very well-known stage actress. And he says to her, he's like, "If you do your play for a hundred thousand people, that's." you're written about and you're lauded but what we do if we only do it for a hundred thousand people we're a failure and we you know we do our stuff for millions in in millions and millions and what we do he literally says that what we do matters and i you you mentioned it earlier but that's kind of this art matters and and needs to be held up and we're in a time when movie theaters are not doing great and Movies aren't getting that many movies aren't getting greenlit outside of your your IP, your bigger IPs, your comic book movies, your Star Wars movies. I'm personally afraid for what you know what what comes next, and that I you know I don't know what the movie industry is going to look like in ten years. So a movie like this, like I think, needs to be like championed and and understood that if you don't start appreciating these things and spending money going to theaters and or renting them and buying them, whatever. Shit like this isn't going to exist, I, I I don't think. Well, I mean, they did just put out the Mario Brothers movie. Yeah. Which is which is making a billion dollars. Makes a billion dollars. So I don't disagree. I think, especially for folks like you and I that grew up with movies, I think the convincing isn't with our generation. My kids mm -hmm. can't sit through a whole movie. It's just very difficult for them. If we go to the movies, like we went and saw Mario Brothers this weekend... They're going to the bathroom four or five times. It's because they can't sit there, right? A couple things that I want to mention about the movie that I thought was, you know, it shows the innovation of sound and how these actors have to change. But there's this really interesting story underneath the story 
with Anna May Wong, who mm-hmm. this is like 1920s, right? 1915, some between in there. <laughs> And she is a lesbian, and she's fully accepted. She is fully part of the world there. And then as things progress, as Hollywood gets bigger and more money's brought in from other investors, the world kind of changes, and they tell her, yeah, sorry, you can't be who you are anymore. you got to kind of fade away. And um, I thought that was super interesting that we went from something that was relatively progressive and then as the innovation c- came in, it took some things and pushed them back. So I thought that was extremely thoughtful and interesting. I didn't, like, the Manny Torres story is extremely interesting because he's a, like an immigrant that is thrust into success because of his own perseverance. But he falls in love with Margot Robbie's character, Nelly, and it's kind of a full-hearted love because she sucks mm-hmm. she can't keep her life together yeah and i think the most beautiful part of that is in the end and this is the way i interpreted it was that she realized that she wasn't good for him and that's why she mm-hmm. makes that stroll down away and he's left with a better life for it so i thought that was super cool what was your rating because i know everybody's pin and needles on what our ratings are for these movies yeah, I have it as an 85. I think I had Tar this year as an 86 and Top Gun at Maverick also also as an 85. So I I have it as an 85. I have it right up there with those movies. I really really enjoyed it. I'm a notch lower. I'm a 73. I thought, you know, everything was good. I didn't when I look at the movie as far as the balancing of the characters. You share you show me four, you really only tell me about three. You really treat one of them like shit. That wasn't super great for me. I didn't need Brad Pitt blowing off his head. I would have rather him like just fall like gone into the sunset. That was kind of over the top. So there's a montage at the end of this movie where it's a montage. Manny sits down at watching sit, singing in the rain, which we didn't even talk about the the meta aspects of this movie being kind of an e true Hollywood story of of singing in the rain. Yeah. But he sits down to watch it and, and kind of like he starts to his life starts to flash before his eyes because singing in the rain, like I said, does have aspects that are in this movie. But then a montage starts happening. Several movies are shown and then kind of gets into the it goes to Raiders of the Lost Ark. It goes to Terminator 2. It goes to The Matrix. And then the last film they show is Avatar. Yeah. And then that's that's the end of the montage. What was your feelings of this montage and what do you what do you think it meant before it flashed back to Manny sitting there crying watching Sing in the Rain? I mean, it, like we're talking about, I think it's Hollywood it's their cry for look at what we did over all these years and we've gotten so good at it and now nobody cares. Nobody the industry's taking a big hit. I like I out of that whole montage I remember going, "Man, that's 2001." I actually rewatched mm-hmm. 2001 because I saw it in that montage. Why we're not singing the It's Gonna Be a Montage song from one of the greatest movies, <laughs> Team America. Shout out to the South Park Boys. But, I mean, I think that montage is Hollywood saying, look at man, we produce some good stuff here. We produce some good art. And it's the only culture you guys get anymore. Nobody goes to a museum anymore. This is the only culture you get. And shame on you for letting it die don't let it die maybe it's don't let it die the optimistic view is that it is 
movies. Yeah. All caps, you know, but also it's and we fucked it. But he's sobbing through the whole thing. I think that's the part that you're like, well, if he's crying, he's obviously crying because he knows he's there from the beginning all the way to the end for the to the montage. Man, I mean, it's it's telling that it's not a good they're not in a good spot. Again, the other thing I'll just I'll say about this movie is it's just it's maximalism is just like kind of the point beyond that. Everything is practical in this movie. There's no CGI. There's no, you know, they film when they had those hundred extras running around stabbing each other like that. That was they got a hundred extras to do that. And they had the yeah. the extras, you know, chasing Manny around that. That like that was there was no addition to that. They didn't CGI Red um, Hot Chili Peppers. They got flea. They didn't mess around. They really worked it in. <laughs> The last thing I will say Uh-oh. is I thought it was really interesting to, again, another kind of theme in the movie is when you get what you want, but it's not what you wanted it to be. And I think Manny has that. I think Nelly has that. They get everything they want, but it's still not enough or it's not what you wanted it to be. And I, I think that's an interesting thought to keep in mind when when watching this movie i'll end on this that olivia wilde is one of the greatest actresses the united states has ever produced and she's only in the movie for 10 seconds can we change this yeah. she needs to be i mean come on give olivia more time please that was a great scene when uh, what does he speak is he brad pitts pulls up he's speaking french or italian yeah and she's like you're not even you're american Damn it, speaking. <laughs> it keeps good. going. All yeah. right, so the, the verdict is go see it. It's worth it's worth seeing. Wade thinks it's better than I do, but it's still a <laughs> damn good movie. Get past the fact that they shun one character and the other three are kind of prominent. So go see it. Go check it out. All right, Knock at the Cabin. We saw this movie a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I uh, since you got to start with your impressions on Babylon, I'll start with my impressions with with Knock at the Cabin. So Knock at the Cabin was something that you had asked me to watch that I had no interest. I didn't even know about it. We should say it's a M Night Shyamalan movie. You know, obviously Six Sense signs. What's the M stand for? I fuck if I know. Oh man, it's M Night. Like maybe it's mid. People call him M. Hey M, yes. come here. So he's like a James Bond guy. Yeah, maybe. Uh, so this movie's about... It's not easy to explain what this movie's about. So this couple with an adoptive daughter are in a cabin on a vacation in a remote area. And the little girl's catching grasshoppers. And this gentleman named Leonard Brock, played by Dave Batista, comes. And he's super sweet. He's super nice. He's a super gentle giant. He's very friendly towards the girl. But then three of his cohorts show up with some weapons and they freak out eventually they break into the house and tell couple if you don't sacrifice one of the three of you major catastrophes will be happening to the earth and with those catastrophes one of the four people that are the intruders kills themselves in front of the folks pleading for them to make the ultimate sacrifice pick one of those to kill and then these things will stop as this progresses more and more terrible things are shown on the news and of the two characters andrew and eric they're a couple andrew seems to have more of a skepticism to the whole thing starts to say hey this is probably pre-planned this is video whereas eric who is concussed in the beginning starts to see some things and then ultimately 
you're kind of taken through this ride uh, and you realize that this is, and spoiler alert here, the f- people in the cabin are the four horsemen of the apocalypse and the, the three folks that are in the cabin represent pure love and the all-loving God that we've come to know and hang out with wants a sacrifice or they're going to end the world. The other trick to all this is if they don't do anything, they don't make the sacrifice, everybody in the planet dies and these the three of them survive and they're kind of damned to walk the earth, just the three of them, and when they die, they die. And that's the end of humanity. So that's kind of the gist. Did I get it? Yeah. So I will start by saying the reason this movie is great is because a former wrestler, Dave Batista, gives you an Oscar-level performance. He carries the movie. He is the movie. I want Leonard to put me and tuck me in at bed at night. I mean, he's so fucking just awesome. And it's gut-wrenching when he slits his throat. But he is incredible. I will also say that the movie does a great job of showing Eric and Andrew. They're really in love and they adopt a daughter. That is pretty beautiful. I wish, I don't know if you and I talked about this, but maybe me and my wife talked about it, was that it would be nice to have a little bit more depth on some of the uh, horseman characters. Mm-hmm. Sabrina, who is a nurse, you don't really get a lot of who she is or where she's come from. Same thing with mm-hmm. the other girl. I can't, I have her here. Hold on, Adrian. Mm-hmm. She also, you don't, you kind of get a glimpse of who she is, but not not ton. The person you get the most out of, other than Leonard, is Redmond, who is played by. Rupert Grint, who was in the uh, Wizard shows, whatever those are. I don't think they were that big. Harry Potter. He, he is, for the little role that he has, he plays it extremely well. He sets the tone for the entire, you're like, holy crap. He So the when they're, you know, they ask these two guys, he's the first one up. So he asks them to make the sacrifice. There's no way they believe any of this, so... They end up chopping off his head, and it's pretty brutal. So there's also another twist that Redman assaulted Andrew at one point in the uh, in a bar, and there was some charges pressed. So final thing I'll say, and then I'll let you go, Wade, is that the one thing that you've come to expect with M. Night is that his movies have a twist, and, and I'm a big fan of the Unbreakable series. I love all three of those movies. I thought... They were great because they had these amazing twists in them where you're like blown away. This movie and the sixth does sense and- Yeah, the sixth sense and then that water movie where the stupid aliens can't have water. This movie doesn't have that twist. I don't know. Well, I th- I think that's one of the strengths of the movie is that I think Knight or M is playing off at your expectation of that a twist. That there's a twist. This. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Because they do a really good job of uh you were talking about with Andrew Ben Aldridge's character how he's definitely like the doubting Thomas of this whole thing and he keeps pointing out like ah that that's old footage and that could be just terrorist activity that that may not be anything right and so the whole time as you're going through this movie you think ah this can't be real can't really be happening and so they keep putting that those seeds of doubt that yeah that twist is coming and there's going to be an explanation for all this when the explanation is this shit's really happening. Yeah, right. And the, these visions these people were having, you, you know, whatever the force is that's that's forcing these people out of visions, it, it's real. I thought that was that was interesting. You know, they they definitely 
put these these two men to the test of like if you love the world as much as I do, then then you'll give yourself to save the world. And I think that was that was pretty profound. The ending kind of gets a little wacky. I, I wish they wouldn't have gone and in, back into society and kind of seeing the showing other people's reactions to it or the other people watching TV. Oh, I, I, I kind of wish it would have just. I thought that was a good catharsis that the sacrifice paid off. If you don't, yeah. If you didn't have that, you were left to you would be left with a spinning thimble, and then you're thinking, all right. Is he in a dream or is he not in a dream? Is he in a dream or is he not in a dream? I might have liked that a little bit better. To not know? But, to not know whether or not yeah. it was... Well, there's your M. Night Shyamalan uh, twist. Yeah. That would have been your twist. But you, like you said, Bautista is incredible in this movie. And he's helped a little bit by the direction and the camera work here. In that they do this Dude, really interesting... Cut him some slack. <laughs> Give it to him, He's man. great. He's great. But the, the way that they do these extreme close-ups on this enormous man's face. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. Is, You're attractive. I get it. I get it. It's a good-looking man. I get it. It's very striking, especially I saw it in the theaters and, you know, seeing it on whatever it was, a 40, 50-foot screen. You're like, whoa, that is a lot of man right there. And... uh I doubt whether or not any school district would hire him to be a second grade teacher. Yes, um, they with, would. With, Stop it. You're such a jerk. With the tattoos on his arms and what have you. But yeah, it, it was a fun movie. There is a lot of violence, but it's not really shown. It kind of happens off screen or out, you know, outside your your view. So it's pretty well, you know, Slavic was talking about chopping off heads and what have you. Yes, that happens, but you don't really see it. So it's not almost like it it's not gory they're, they don't spend yeah. any time on the gore what is your score for this movie slot my score is a ravishing 72 so you have gave babylon a 73 you had this as a 72 so you, you have these right on par with each other yeah so i gotta think that this movie had to have made a ton of money because they're i don't think they spent a ton of money uh, Knock at the Cabin made $55 million worldwide. Not, not a ton. How much did it cost, though? $10 million? It only cost $20 million to make. So that's almost buck and a half. Yeah, I mean... That's pretty good. The $20 million, that's that's the production budget. You know, you don't know what they spent on marketing the movie. But, it, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's making money. Yeah, it's done good. I'm glad. I like M. M is good. What was your, what was your score? Yeah, my score was 75. What was Babylon for you? 85? I had 85. Wow. Wow. I wonder if that number will hold for you over time for Babylon. I really think it will. I've watched Babylon two or three times already, just like Tar. I, I just, I really think the filmmaking here, Damien Chazelle, of, he, he's the one that made Babylon. He also did La La Land, Whiplash, First Man. I'm, I'm really struck by it. Damien Chazelle is one of these, you know, he's kind of a younger filmmaker, and I think he's one of, a small group of filmmakers, you know, younger filmmakers that I would have season tickets to. Like, I'll I'll watch whatever they want to put out. Um, I, I just think they've they've done it enough to the point where I'm I'll I'll buy in. You know, I, I we've talked about Paul Thomas Anderson and Soderbergh and, and a couple others. I think he's on that list now. Hmm, cool. So, what else are you watching? You watching anything else good? Ted Lasso. I you know I'm still a couple episodes behind on Ted Lasso. Oh man, you think it it's over, huh? Dang it. The other thing that just came back is the last season of Barry, which I love. I'm a big fan of Barry. 
Bill Hader is amazing in that show, and it's just like uh, Breaking Bad. It's on the downward spiral, man. The other one that I was begging you to watch, or not begging you, but asking you to watch, is was Yellow Jackets, and it's back for a second season, and it's not so, so good, man. We tried Yellow Jackets. And for some reason, we're not, we're not, uh, it hasn't captivated us. I really liked the first season. I thought, you know, the mix of 90s nostalgia plus the kind of the intrigue, they were had a lot of different balls in the air out there. You know, is there uh, mystical stuff going on? And then I loved the meta aspect of having these older actresses that were young in the 90s playing their older selves, Juliette Lewis, Christina Ricci. I thought that was great. But the second season, man, it's just kind of gone downhill really quickly. Yeah. Another show that went downhill really quickly, The Mandalorian, man. The third season is really, really bad. Just finished up, and I can't believe how bad it is. I don't want anything to do with it. (laughs) I'm not touching it. I'm not touching it. I got a laugh out of the conversation that you and I had. We were shooting hoops, and you're like, because you didn't watch Boba Fett. And you're like, you know, I was watching the trailer for The Mandalorian. And when did Grogu and The Mandalorian get back together? <laughs> and uh, that's just still the craziest thing to me. That they split them apart in the, the season two finale of this show. And reunited them on an episode of a different TV show. Like, I, again, it's Boba Fett. It's related. Yada, yada. But it's not an episode of The Mandalorian. And they had this reunion on, uh, it's just so terrible. Such a terrible idea. Yeah, I noticed something. You yada yada a lot. Do I? Yeah, you yada yada like a ton. You you need to listen to this podcast. I think in our general general con- <laughs> like it's like I'm living the Seinfeld episode. You're like yada yada yada, and then like holy cow! I didn't realize <laughs> this until now. I say the words yada yada. You say yada yada like all the time, all the time. Really? Oh yeah. Mm. Wow. So a show that I've picked up, my wife, that we uh, are really enjoying is The Diplomat. Like, it's just super good. It's, it's, Carrie Russell's in it. What are you, what are you laughing at? Why are you laughing? I'm, I was, I was trying to not laugh because you called it The Delegate like five different times. So I'm glad you. The Delegate. Well, I have a, I have a device <laughs> that tells me all the information in front of me now. So yes, I'm not good with names. Sorry. Carrie Russell. From the Americans' fame, she's also some other show that I've never heard of. Felicity, Felicity. Uh, I'm not. Is that a show worth watching? I have no idea. Dude, that was like the one of the biggest shows of our college years. Was Felicity? I didn't watch a ton of TV in college. Nine hundred two one zero Felicity. It was like right there. Are they related? I knew nine hundred two one zero. I gotta give you. I got it, but Felicity, I didn't know. So Carrie Russell's in it. Rufus, 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 Suell is in it. <laughs> His name's Hale <laughs> he, So the big dynamic. Rufus, Suell. Rufus <laughs> I can't see shit. Um, he's uh, like, their relationship is so cool. Like, they're married, but they're getting divorced, but they're still got each other's back, and it's complicated, so it's pretty cool. I haven't seen any of the diplomat yet. I, I'm I'm looking forward to watching it. So another show that I that we've talked about and I've seen more of is Extrapolations, which is I mean, when I saw it, 
like on the trailer, I was like, man, this is going to be incredibly good. And I'm sure there's going to be a part where they're talking to whales. And all my dreams came true. Meryl Streep voicing whales. Have you seen any more of this debacle? I, so I've watched two episodes of that. And I was, I you know, in the last episode of this show, we, I was blown away. I was like, oh my God. You know, Meryl Streep's in this, and Matthew Reese is in this, right. and I think Grogu has a part in it. Jon Snow's in it. The, beyond that, it's on Apple TV, which I think I also said has a like a really high hit rate for me. Like it, I think of their shows as having super high quality productions. Now, this show looks like a million bucks. I mean, it, they did not spare much money with how it looks in the sets and what have you. But my God, how did this show get past the editing bay? It needs like, that it's, guy. It's, it needs it's that written guy. so terribly. And the acting is also just very corny. And I don't know if it, it, it almost, I feel like I'm missing something. Like it's purposeful to be that corny. But <laughs> man, if it's purposeful, it's really not my thing. Spoiler alert. The fact that Matthew Reese gets stabbed by a walrus is just mind-blowing that that was that was supposed to be some sort of like poignant conclusion to that episode that was just that was terrible so brutal i found myself thinking about that i should go back to it just from the car crash aspect of it like how much worse can it get because you told me beyond episode two it gets even weirder it gets worse i mean stupider so they i don't know it, it maybe i'm foolish but this show is trying to convince me that in 30 years we're going to be talking to animals, all animals. Yeah. Wolves, whales, and they're becoming extinct. And we're, we're going to be able to talk them, talk to them in some kind of coherent language. And I'm like, what is happening? Is this something that we're working on? Are we working on this? Because, bro, work on the cancer, man. I, I don't want it anymore, okay? Like, let's stop talking to animals. I want I want you guys to solve some bigger shit. It's it's mind-boggling that that's a thing. And then, like, later on, you're, the stage that they're... Maybe that's what I don't like is... On some shows, they're talking about a church or a synagogue that needs to be saved. I don't know if it's... I don't remember exactly. And then the next one, there's this billionaire stealing these planes that she sold to release this experimental process into the system and ed norton used to be married to her and is in the white house and the white house kind of goes well we'll just blow her up so they just blow her up and you're like she didn't have a better plan she didn't have a better plan like if she really wanted to do this she didn't have a better plan like it just seems like a bad plan and i don't know it just for high hopes and Great expectations, it is falling flat on its face. Mm. Wow. And I'm sad to say it. So, Diplomat is turning out to be a pretty cool show. I mean, really, Rufus Sewell is, is the star. Rufus. Rufus. So, all right. Well, so I think we hit it. I think we hit our mark today. Yes. Is there anything else you want to cover? Are you watching any of the NHL or NBA playoffs, which I know you love to talk about? I love sports, man. I watch so much sports. You do watch a lot of sports. You watch sports when Michigan's playing. Yeah, I'm so out on pro sports. I don't even get texts back from you when you watch Michigan. 
I'm strictly college based sports at this point. I, I did. I have been watching some baseball games, so I, I watch <sighs> Major League Baseball. What? So, yeah. No way. Yeah. What do you think of the new rules? And your bases, pitch clock. You know, shorter games are better. Step in the batter's box. You might get a pitch right away. Yeah, I, I don't like that there's a pitch clock, and that's the impetus of the speeding it up. But I like faster games, so I, I guess I'm in favor of it. What but would you rather do? Only two strikes, not three. Nah. So I mean, there's no other way to speed up the game. Uh, I think you could do it by you know not allowing batters to step out of the box, not allowing pitchers to you know they can only go to the. They can only take off their glove once per inning or something like that. You know, if they're going to rub down the balls, that just kind of get shit. Get rid of the I think you could do stuff like Yeah, having unlimited timeouts. I mean, that now they have one yeah. timeout, so there's a strategy there. I think the PGA could learn a lesson from baseball and speeding up some of that play. Like, holy crap. Yeah. I heard the Masters were brutal, but some of these guys are taking way too long to take a swing on a club, bruh. All right, I think we... I, think we're good we will uh wrap it up here and any thoughts for what we might do next i know this is kind of a two this either is a positive or negative for us because as soon as we say what we're going to do next it seems like it's almost impossible to get back to doing it so do we just kind of say good night we probably need to do a ted lasso wrap up no. uh you know we did one of those for the first couple of seasons maybe. i'd like to talk about barry at some point you know maybe i'll do a solo pod on barry barry I'm like, I've watched like one season of Barry. How about we do The Diplomat? Bruh. Oh, well, I'll, maybe I'll get into The Diplomat. We can do The Diplomat. And then I'd like to, I'd like to, you know, we should start thinking about our top 10 shows of all time. I think we should do that. <laughs> top 10. You already listed mine. That's not fair. I gave you two. I gave you two, not 10. You got eight more spots to fill. Jeez. They have to be in order? Well, that's what we did with the movies, didn't we? All right. Good night, everybody. Lots of love. Peace out. Adi 5000G. Jesus Christ. That's from Deep Cover. It's a great movie, you big jerk. <laughs> All right. Bye. That concludes the show. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'd love to get your support and your opinion of the podcast, so please subscribe and review us on Apple Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Deep Shots Pod and on Facebook, Deep Shots Podcast. Email your comments, opinions, and future show suggestions at deepshotspod at gmail.com. Stay safe. Much love. Bye.